Thank you guys for leading us. Good morning. How you doing? Uh, you're a sight for sore eyes. We've been missing you. We have uh, had a couple of weekends off, and we went down to uh, Alabama for some vacation for a week. And, and uh, though we were with you uh, online, and we were praying for you and, and uh, missing you, it's so much better to be here with you. So it's good to see you. Uh, I want to say a huge thank you to my dear friends and brothers, Pastor Elvis, uh, Eli Brito Semedo for, for leading last week and preaching for us. Didn't they do a fabulous job? Thank you, men. Thank you. We love you, and we're so thankful that you are here leading with us. Hey, we, I can't believe I'm going to say this right now. This feels weird, but this is our last Sunday message in the book of Acts. No clapping, no clapping. I don't know how, how that was going to go. Uh, but this is the last Sunday. I'm kind of sad to see it, see it go. Uh, you know what's been amazing, and I've said this before, but as we've been in this series in the book of Acts, of course, the book of Acts is the, the story of the mission of God through his people. It's the story of the church. It's the story of all these amazing things that God did. Um, it's a story of God loving people. And as we have been being established as a church, a South City Church, this is our fifth summer. Um, since I've been here, it's, we've only been going for four, a little over four years as South City. But uh, this has been our story, to become established in this faith, uh, to see people come to know Christ. We've seen nearly 150 people come to know Christ in these four and a half years. Uh, we, we've seen baptisms recently in the last few weeks, 11 so God is doing a work that is his work, and it is beautiful, and what a, what a joy to be a part of it. It's been cool to, to just kind of track along with the believers in Acts as they've, they're, they're being established, and we're seeing God do a work in them in the story. We're also seeing it being done in us, right? So I think that's been a fun thing for us, been timely for us. We've learned a lot. I don't, I don't know if you would say that, but I've definitely learned a lot through this story of Acts. We've learned that this mission... To make Jesus known, it's not mine, uh, it's not necessarily yours, it's God's mission that he's invited us into. He longs to see people come to know Jesus. And so he is a missionary God, as Ellie said last week. And so we, we've learned that after 3,000 people are saved and baptized, we don't just see them converted, right? To know Christ is not just about conversion, it's not just about praying a prayer, hey, I prayed a prayer, I'm good to go, now I just go to church some. No. What we see in Acts 2 is 3,000 believers saved, baptized, and then they start this discipleship process. It says they're uh, devoted to the apostles' teaching, which is the word of God. As the apostles are teaching, they are writing literally the New Testament. So they're devoted to knowing God's word. They're devoted to prayer. They're devoted to caring for one another beautifully. They're devoted to so many different things that just... Uh, encourage me as, as an early church. They're, they're devoted to supporting one another. They're faithful to worship in a large gathering and in home gatherings. They're, they're faithful. They're committed to one another, another. They're grateful people. They're a grateful people. You know, that, that may be the most important one. Because when you, when you truly are grateful, when you are truly thankful for what God has done in your heart, you want to worship that puts you in a frame of mind and heart to worship and to lift him up and to serve him and to be faithful because you love him. So they're grateful people. They're also living their lives on mission. I love that last verse, Acts 2, that says, 
and they added to their number daily. Can you imagine? They added to their number every single day. Incredible. That didn't happen because uh, Peter was a great teacher or because they were, you know, there were some guys that were leading. No, it happened because every person involved in the mission of God in the church, every person in the church saw that mission as their own. Every person took that mission to their world, to their family, to their work outside of the church. They made that mission their own. And because of that, God added to their number every single day. We learned that everyone in the church ought to be involved in missions. I I love this picture in Acts 4. Peter and John go off to the temple. They heal the crippled man at the gate. Thousands of people are, are, are saved. And of course, they sort of get in trouble. They're taken to the council. And, and, and Peter doesn't mince words, right? He says, there's only one name by which we may be saved, the name of Jesus. The only way that this man was healed was in the name of Jesus whom you crucified. He minces no words. They're on this mission. They're, they're preaching with boldness. And then where do they go after that? They go back to this house. It says they go, the text says they go back to their friends, which I love. It didn't say they went back to a service they attended, did it? <laughs> they went to their friends. They were in community. They were connected to these people, the church, meeting in a home. And what were those people doing when they got there? They're praying. And they, they receive Peter and, and John. And they hear a report from Peter and John. You don't hear a report unless you sent them to do something. They went and did what you sent them to do, to be on mission. They came back and give a report. Every person is involved in in mission. And then at the end of their time, after hearing about what the council said, what happened at the temple, thousands now, the church is just blowing up. They pray. And what what we've learned in the book of Acts is the mission of God begins with us praying, seeking the God of mission for who he wants to reach and how he wants to use us to reach people. So we see this church, this beautiful church, where everyone is involved in mission. Not just a couple, everyone, right? A couple have gone, but the whole church is praying. The whole church is, is seeking the God of mission and praying, him, praying for him to draw people to himself to be saved. We've also learned that, you know, mission is not something that you just come to, right? We love that you're here this morning. I love that you're watching this morning, maybe. It's wonderful, but mission is not coming to something. Mission is going with something, right? So it's not just that we come to gather. It's not just that you've come to hear some music and somebody speak. No, now we turn around and we take what God has given us, who he's making us, and we go. That's what mission is, right? Mission is going. Mission is an awareness. It's one of our core values, missional awareness, that you have an awareness in your heart and your mind that God loves people, that he loved you, that by his grace, you were reached. And by his grace, now you can tell your story. You can have an awareness of the people around you who need Jesus. And so you're praying for them. You're, you're looking for opportunities for relationship and communication and connectedness so that he might continue this mission of God through you in your life. I want to say this, listen, as we get into this message this morning, if you know Jesus as your Savior, I want you to hear me, we cannot be obedient to him and not be a missional people. 
Some, most of us, we go, yeah, I agree with that. But are we doing it? Are we being it? We cannot be obedient to Jesus as his people and not be a missional people. Seeking to take this message with this awareness by the power of the Holy Spirit as he draws people to himself. Are we doing it? Not just me. Not just some guy that we call a missionary that we support and we send him somewhere. No. You. Every single one of us. All of us. Well, there's three things I want to do in this last message. I want to talk a little bit about what, what, did we, what is this Acts book? What is it about, right? I mean, now we've gone all the way through it. Do we have a sense of why, why it was written? Well, let's ask some questions. What, was the book of Acts to record the history that went on? Was that the purpose of the book of Acts? Not the primary purpose, no. Was the book of Acts written so that we could uh, create a biography of amazing people? Peter, Paul, Stephen, so many of these amazing people. Was it written for a biography? No. The book of Acts was written by Luke for one reason, to show one main character, and that character is God Almighty. That character is a missional God who loves people. We see his power through the Holy Spirit in amazing ways, and I'm so thankful for all the detail that Luke gave us. I'm thankful for all the history. I'm thankful for all the characters that he captured. But Luke wants to show us the main purpose. We, we've gone through these sections before. Some of you say that's just a rerun, but I, I really, I'm really i doing this again because I want you to write it down. I want you to get it in your heart. Luke writes these summary sections throughout the book of Acts, right? There's a season. It's, more, it's uh, mostly geographical in many, in many ways. The Lord is moving in a geographical setting, and then Luke writes a summary statement. He kind of moves in a geographical setting in another area, and Luke writes another summary statement. If you read the book of Acts, which, by the way, can I just challenge you this week? It won't take you 20 minutes probably. Maybe, maybe 45. I don't know. Read the whole book of Acts. Just get a whole overview from this book. Just to get a sense of what we've, what we've read through, what we've learned. But when you read it, you're going to see these summary statements by Luke that tell you why he wrote the book of Acts. Let's look at some of them. Acts 6, 7. This is the first summary statement about Jerusalem. Remember what Jesus said in Acts 1, 8? He said, I'm going to empower you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, other most parts of the world. In that order, because Jesus in a prophetic way laid out for us what was going to happen. And look exactly what happens through the history, through what Luke tells us about God's mission. Acts 6, 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Gives us that geographical setting. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. I don't believe the church just started right here at Pentecost. I believe it was, was going beforehand, right? But the empowering of the church by the Holy Spirit is definitely in this moment at Pentecost. And it begins in Jerusalem. In this way. And so this is a start out of a Jewish faith. And so Luke makes the note that a lot of priests, a lot of Jewish priests, who have been hoping and waiting through these prophecies that the Messiah would come, now believe that Jesus is that Messiah. 
And so they're obedient now to what God has said through his prophecies over and over again. So yes, Jesus is Messiah and these priests come to believe. And so Luke captures this first summary statement. This is what the book of Acts is about. That the gospel goes forth. That the number of disciples is multiplying here in Jerusalem. This is beautiful. Look at the next one, Acts 9.31, talking about Judea and Samaria. Uh, it says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. I, I, what I love about this, there, this may be, if not the most difficult time for believers in persecution, it was one of them. But do you notice some of the words in that description that Luke gives us? In the middle of persecution, throughout Judea, throughout Galilee, throughout Samaria, they had what? Peace. They had peace. And they were being built up in the middle of this scattering, in the middle of this persecution. They're walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And they multiply. I love that. Do you know why I love it so much in this crazy moment that we're living in with COVID and craziness, all kinds of junk going on? It gives me hope that in the middle of crazy, we can have peace. In the middle of the un unknown, the Holy Spirit comforts our hearts. It gives me hope to know that we can be built up in the middle of a crazy time when we don't know who's going to be here. We come in Sunday and we turn around and go, oh, we have people here, good. <laughs> we don't know. We don't know how many people are with us. We don't know how many people are watching. But this gives me hope that we can be built up as a body, that we can have peace in our hearts as believers in Jesus, that we can be comforted by the Holy Spirit, and that we can be obedient to the mission of God and multiply. That gives me hope. Here's the next one, Acts, 24, uh, Acts 12, verse 24. About, this is about Antioch, you know, the, the, become, Antioch becomes sort of the mission center, sending center of, of the church. And Luke captures it very simply like this, Acts 12, 24, the word of God increased and multiplied. Do these sound familiar, these summary statements? He keeps coming back to the same thing, almost as if this is the purpose of the book. Almost as, as if this is what he wants to highlight after the movement of God in each of these areas. Look at Acts 16.5. This is after Paul's missionary journey in Asia Minor. Some of the first missionary journeys. He says, so the churches were strengthened. Notice he says churches. That's a new word added in here. right? Because churches are now being established and planted. And, and God's doing an amazing work. So the churches were strengthened in the faith. And they increased in numbers daily, just like the Jerusalem church. God is moving. And Luke is showing us what the purpose of this letter is. Acts 19.20, after Paul goes in this missionary journey through the Aegean area. So the word of the Lord con uh, continued to increase and prevail mightily. These words are similar. These sentences are similar. This, this focus is the same. That God is doing what only God can do. He is a missional God and he is moving to draw people to himself to be saved. And he's using people like you and me as a part of it. Then I want to go to the very last one which happens to be our text uh, for this morning. Acts verse, chapter 28, 
the last two verses of the chapter, verses 30 and 31. It says, he lived there two whole years at his own expense, speaking of Paul, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Pray with me as we dig into the last two verses of this book. Father, we love you. What a joy. What a treasure this study has been, God, in my heart. I pray in many others, Lord, that we have uh, learned about this mission that you are on. Lord, I pray that we have been convicted, we've been drawn, we've learned even as disciples ourselves what it means to follow you, what it means to be the church. God, I pray that this morning you would help us to dig deep into your word, that your Holy Spirit would do what only you can do, Holy Spirit of the living God, and that's lead us to all the truth that we need today. And God, I pray that you would increase, that I would decrease, stay out of your way, that you would build South City Church up in the spirit of the living God, in your truth, in courage and boldness to be a witness for you. God, would you do it? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been following Paul for a while, really, right? Since around chapter 8 or 9 in that area, we've been seeing who was Saul back then. And uh, he's had a rough last few years, hadn't he? Uh, two years in prison, unwarranted. He didn't do anything. He wasn't a criminal. But he spends two years in Caesarea. Uh, he's, he's there. He goes through all these defenses, all these trials. He's worn out. He keeps giving the same story, bringing glory to God. And yet we learn that sometimes in the place that seems uh, most unlikely for God's glory, these places that you don't ever want to be, <laughs> These spots that you could never hardly even imagine, sometimes God brings the most glory to himself in the most broken places of our lives. And that's what he does in Paul's life. So two years in Caesarea, and then finally he can go now to Rome. Oh, it's just going to be a luxury tour. Three-hour tour, right? That whole thing. So he gets on this grain vessel in Caesarea, and he, or in uh, Sidon or wherever it was that he jumped on the grain vessel. And he's supposed to be a four-week trip. It's between four and five months because, as you know, he gets on this vessel and they're going over, having trouble. They don't eat for two weeks. They end up having a shipwreck. He almost dies in the shipwreck. And, and then right before he jumps off the ship, he almost dies from the soldiers. They want to kill everybody. Well, he makes it from there, right? Swims to the beach Starts to warm himself by the fire, throws some wood on the fire, gets bitten by a deadly snake. Everybody's watching, waiting on his every move, waiting on him to fall over. He doesn't fall over, right? So he's gone through all these things, and finally he reaches Rome. He gets to Rome, and now he's in prison for another two years. Man, it's been a tough four and a half years for Paul. I want to break down the, the passage just a little bit for us. He's on house arrest. It's kind of a modern-day uh, ankle bracelet. If you've seen people who, who had an ankle bracelet, maybe they can't go anywhere but their home. They still have to pay for their home. They still have to pay for their food, but they have an ankle bracelet. Well, Paul's ankle bracelet was a soldier chained to him. He wasn't going anywhere. He couldn't leave that house. People had to come to him. And the Apostle Paul welcomed anybody that wanted to have a conversation. 
Jew or Gentile, anybody. Come talk to me about the kingdom of God and about Jesus Christ. I'll tell you everything that you want to know. That's what it says in the text. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught them about the Lord Jesus Christ. He probably picked back up his tent-making business, probably did that in that very same location. We don't know all the details. But what we do know is that Paul started acting like Paul. I love the Apostle Paul. We know, we know what he's doing, right? As soon as he gets there, what's he doing? He's preaching, man. He's telling people about Jesus. It says in our text this morning that he welcomed all people, that he taught, that he proclaimed. This is Paul's heart. This is who Paul is. The priority of Paul's life is the mission of God, period. Paul doesn't have like side gigs that are more important. Yeah, he's got a business. Yeah, he's got to eat. Yeah, he's got some things he does. But his primary purpose in life is the mission of God. So here he, he's welcoming people in, and he's getting to know people around him. But I, I think it's really clear what he's doing. In fact, he told us in the book of Romans. If you have a Bible, turn over to Romans chapter 1, or you can look on the screen. Remember, he writes the book of Romans uh, probably in Corinth. So he writes the book of Romans having never been there. He's writing to the Romans. This is what he tells them is going to be his plan if he ever gets to Rome. Rome, Romans 1, 11. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may mutually be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I love that both yours and mine. I I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So, watch this. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. What was Paul's plan when he gets to Rome? preach. He already told us. Man, when I get to Rome, I'm going to preach. You know what I love is here's the apostle Paul. God has used him so tremendously, and yet he tells these people he doesn't even know, I can't wait to learn from you. Isn't that beautiful? The humility. He knows that he's going to be encouraged, and he's going to be an encouragement to the people in Rome. But he tells us his plan. He's going to preach the gospel of Jesus to these folks. So here he's welcoming folks. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God. He's teaching about Jesus. He's witnessing to people. He's building relationships, amazing relationships, and people are coming to know Christ because that's what happens in the mission of God. That's what happens when it's your priority in life. You look for opportunities, and God starts doing amazing things. Look with me uh, in Philippians chapter 1. Philippians is one of the books that Paul wrote uh, while he was in this house imprisonment. Philippians 1.12 says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Don't you know so many in the church said, oh no, Paul's in prison. How is he going to advance the gospel? How is the Lord going to use him in prison? Paul says, he speaks to that, doesn't he? He says, listen, what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. That's like Caesar's Praetorian uh, SWAT team or something. They're, they're the top dogs in the, in the Imperial Guard. It's become known to the whole guard and to all the rest of my imprisonment is for Christ. 
These, gu- these guards chained to Paul. He's just, he's just preaching his, their ears off. Day in, day out. Hey, have I told you about Jesus? Man, you got to know about Jesus. It's why I'm in chains. You didn't, you didn't kill somebody? No. I love people. And I love Jesus. People just preaching their ears off till the whole guard knows about Christ. Watch what he says, verse 14. And most of the brothers, those are people who know Christ, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul is being a model. He's modeling faith in Christ, hope in Christ, and boldness to preach the word of God. But I love at the end of this Philippian letter, you can even see the growth throughout this letter. Look at Philippians 4.22. Paul is giving his, his final statements to the Philippian community. Look what he says. All the saints greet you. That's believers. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. <laughs> Don't you love that? Here Paul is being held a prisoner under Caesar, and, and the gospel is going forward. The gospel is doing what the gospel does. Paul even says, the gospel, I'm in chains, but the gospel's not in chains. So right here in Caesar's household, right here in Caesar's prison, people are coming to know Christ. God is doing what only God can do in this moment, in this place. Even Caesar's household, I just love that. So even though Paul was in prison for, for over four years, he is advancing the gospel. He is, his, his primary uh, concern is the mission of God. When he couldn't go to these churches that he had planted and established, he wrote these letters. While he's in this house imprisonment, he writes four letters. He writes uh, the book of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Even as I say those and they come out of my mouth, I think of the depth, right? I think of the richness. I think of the beauty of those letters, unbelievable. And yet they're written here in this house arrest. Some of the most beautiful texts that Paul writes in the New Testament, all of which kind of have a perspective, if you read them, with this understanding of what he's going through and where he's at. When you read these letters, they all have a perspective of a heavenly one, right? That God is in control. God is sovereign. No one touches our God. There is none like our God. All of them have this sense of confidence in who Jesus is. Even though he's being held captive, he has a heavenly perspective. He also has a good understanding of the reality of the, of the moment. Philippians 1:21 says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, uh, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. You just get this sense that Paul knows he's in some, he's in some serious moment here, right? I, I could die. I could live. I don't know what's going to happen to me. Obviously, this is a serious situation. I'm not sure I'm going to get out of this. Of course, how many times has he been in that moment, right? <laughs> I'm not sure I'm going to get out of this. He says, but if I were to die, I get to go to be with Jesus. That's really what I want. But if I live, I get to be a, a, a support for you. Until my dying breath, I, I can support you. I can help you. Our text says that Paul proclaimed God's kingdom, and he, he taught about Jesus with boldness. Boldness in Rome. 
here's the thing I, I love about this text from another one of the letters he wrote in this moment in Ephesians. Paul wasn't Superman. Man, it's, sometimes it's easy to kind of put him in that category. He's just amazing. And we've seen him make some mistakes. We've seen him be a little questionable in his attitude and some things. But Paul was just like you and me. He made mistakes. Paul was afraid. We saw that on the ship, right, when the, when the angel came and said, don't be afraid. Angel wouldn't say don't be afraid unless Paul was afraid. Paul was afraid. Paul didn't have the right things to say all the time. And so he asked the Ephesian community, who he loved very much, he spent the most time with that, that community and that church, Ephesians 6, 18. Look what he says. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Pray for all the saints. And also for me. Pray for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. For which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. He writes this in this house arrest. Right in this moment, he's writing this prayer request to the Ephesians. He's saying, please, please pray for me. Pray that I can have boldness. Pray that I can be saying the things that I need to say when I need to say them. I need your help. I need your help. So Paul, Paul asked for it. He asked for the Ephesian church to pray for him, and they do. And Luke records that he preaches the gospel with boldness. All right, so we come to the end of the book. This is it, right? The last two verses. And I'll be honest with you. When I read those two verses, I go, oh, that's good. Really? That's the ending, Luke? Seriously. You read that and you go, oh, oh okay. Like, there's a lot of questions that we wanted to answer. There, there seems to be a lot more stuff. What happened to Paul? Really, Luke? So you just ask these questions. What, what's going on? I'll be honest with you. I think Luke ended the book of Acts exactly the way he wanted to. I think he did it on purpose. I think he left it open-ended on purpose. Again, when you go back to those sections of summary throughout the book of Acts, what was the purpose of Acts? To show that God was moving, to show that our missional God was bringing people to know him, right, through miracles and amazing different aspects and stories, but it comes back to people coming to Christ. So in the same way, Acts is not about miracles. It's not about Peter. It's not about Paul. And if I'm being honest, it's not really even about the story of the church five years later after we name it. It's about God. It's about his mission. It's about the gospel of Jesus going forward to see every person believe in Christ. If they would just believe and come to faith in Christ. But Luke leaves it wide open. <laughs> I titled the message this morning, To Be Continued. Because I think that's what Luke's saying. He's kind of leaving this crazy ending short and unsatisfying in a way. As if to say, it didn't finish. We didn't finish. We're still going. And guess what? We're still going. You're, still, you're written into this book. We're still living the book of Acts. We're still in the middle of it. Look, look, look at this. Jesus said in the Great Commission, I am with you always to the end of the age. Right? We haven't reached the end of the age. Jesus is still with us. He's with you. 
What did he say in Acts 1.8? Uh, that the Holy Spirit would empower us to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. Listen, friends, we haven't reached the end of the age or the ends of the earth. We are written into the book of Acts. Isn't that amazing? Like, like pull back just a little bit and, and think about how amazing it is. You are in the Bible. You are in the story of God and the story of the church and the story of the mission of God because he wants to use you. Paul said in Romans 10, how else will they hear? How else will they know about this Savior unless we go, unless we preach, unless we help them to know this beautiful, life-changing God? I'm thankful. I'm so thankful. I was just praying over this all week and thinking through this text and this story and just thinking, man, we, you can leave here today, whether you go to your home or to your work or around the world somewhere. And we have, I mean, Pastor Elvis just came back from Campeche, Mexico, right? We have people going around the world all the time. We, we have people who are fluent in multiple languages sitting in this room right now, being used of God around the world. Listen, wherever you go, even if it's across the street, you can go in confidence. You know why? Because you don't go alone. Jesus is with you because he said so. I'll be with you. I'll always be with you to the end of the age. You go, I'm not sure what I'm going to say. I'm, I'm not sure how to do this. Right? It's okay. Not only is he with you, but he's going to give you the things to say. He's going to empower your heart. He's going to empower your spirit in that moment to say what you need to say. To the ends of the earth, wherever you go. I think about, um, I was thinking about that in a couple of missionaries that we have supported and that we pray for a lot. Sean and Jenny Richards, uh, they're sweet people. They're actually back in Little Rock. I'm hoping to spend some time with them. Maybe they'll come and be with us some uh, at South City. But their mission is on a volcano. Like who goes, hey, I'll take that one, right? They live on an island of a volcano with their children. And they're working every day to translate God's word into that language in Papua New Guinea. But guess what? They can have confidence on the side of a volcano because Jesus is with them. Right? And because his spirit empowers them to do exactly what he's called them to do. All right, I want to wrap up this morning. The last thing I want us to look at is Paul's final years. I mean, Luke doesn't say anything. And just kind of leaves you hanging. One of the big questions that you may be asking is, well, he was supposed to go before Nero. Did, did that ever happen? Did Paul ever stand before the most powerful man in the world in Rome? Yeah, he did. This is how we know it. Not necessarily because the history books say it, because Jesus said it. Look with me over here. Acts 27, verse 24. It says, for this very reason... This is Paul speaking on the, on the ship before they shipwrecked. For this very night, uh, there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. Did Paul go before Caesar? You better believe he did. He had a promise from an angel sent by God Almighty. Yes, he went before Caesar. Uh, Jesus stood beside Paul in Acts 23 
and he said, you have to go and be my witness in Rome. Yes, he stood before Caesar. But Paul also talks about, a lot of commentarians think that in the last book that Paul writes, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, a lot of commentarians think this, this text is dealing with uh, the time that he stood before Caesar. Look at it with me. 416, Paul's writing to Timothy, he says, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. Uh, who's he talking about? Could he be talking about Luke, Aristarchus, Tychicus, all these guys that he puts in the letters, how faithful they've been, and yet, like Jesus, no one stood before him in this defense. He said, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Paul spoke and preached the name of Jesus before Nero. The most powerful man in the world, he spoke and told of salvation to this man. He says, so I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Commentarians think maybe the lion is Caesar. Or maybe the lion is an actual lion, an, an actual lion that he didn't have to go battle in the Colosseum. Maybe he was saved from the lions in the Colosseum. Or maybe he's speaking of uh, what Peter says in 1 Peter 5, the lion who roams about, right? This, Satan. Doesn't matter which exact lion, the bottom line is God delivered him from the lion's mouth. That was the first uh, defense that he gave. So why didn't Luke talk about Paul's death? It's kind of a big deal. I mean, we've been following Paul for so long. Why wouldn't you just mention why, how, Luke, how Paul dies and where and when? And, but he doesn't. Well, there's some possible uh, reasons for that. It could be that at the time of, of writing the book of Acts, this hadn't happened. It could be that it was within that two-year imprisonment that he writes about in the, at the end, and then they begin to make copies and send it to the churches, and that sort of stops that part of the story for, for that moment, even though Paul continues to live and do some other things. It could be that, that Luke knew that, for the most part, Paul's death was so huge, he didn't even feel like he maybe didn't need to write it down. Everybody knew, knows that Nero beheaded Paul. That could be another reason. It could even be that Luke dies before Paul and doesn't finish Acts. Here's the reason I think, and I think the, the best one. It's not about Paul. The book of Acts is not about Paul. Luke didn't feel like he had to wrap up Paul's story because it's not Paul's story. It's not my story, and it's not your story. It's God's story. And so he didn't have to wrap it all up, all neat and nice. So what happened to Paul? How did Paul's life end? What were the last few years of his life? Uh, two early church fathers, Clement, who was a first century uh, church father, and Eusebius from Caesarea in the third century, they both say that Paul got out of that two-year prison house arrest and that he was free for a short time, maybe another year, year and a half. And then the question is, well, then what did Paul do? Well, I think we know what Paul did. The question is, where did he do it, <laughs> right? We know Paul went to preach the gospel. A couple, of, a couple of suggestions. Again, Paul has told us some of his plans, possibly. Romans 15, verse 24. This was part of his plan when he came to Rome. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. And to be helped on my journey there by you. 
Once I have enjoyed your company for a while. And jump down to verse 28. It says, when therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. Maybe Paul went to Spain. It seemed like that was at least on his short list of things to do in mission. He also tells Philemon, which is one of the four books he writes in that two-year prison sentence. He tells Philemon that he needs to him to prepare a room because he wants to come visit him. Maybe he goes to see Philemon. We, we don't really know. Church history tells us that Paul is out on mission, is arrested in Troas, right? It's the same, same place from the Macedonian call. He's arrested there, taken back to Rome for his second imprisonment, where they throw him into a really nasty place called the Mar- uh, uh, Mamertine Prison. It's actually a place you can still visit today. If you go to Rome, you can go to the Mamertine Prison. And you can see in that prison how nasty, how disgusting the the conditions would be. This was not a home that he paid for for himself where he could welcome people in. He could teach. He could live for a couple of years. No, this was a prison dungeon. I'm talking rats, cold, hungry beatings. It's in that headspace. It's in that um, context I want you to listen to some of the very last words of the Apostle Paul. 2 Timothy 4, 6, he says, For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time for my departure has come. It's almost like he already has his death sentence. Maybe he did. Maybe he knows that he's about to die the next day. Uh, Who knows? He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. I love that. Does that help give a framework for that kind of a statement? I'm already being poured out. Like literally, my blood is being poured out. My life, I'm watching my life Leave me. It gives a context to that text. It gives a finality to, I've fought the good fight. I finished. Not I think I'm finished. I'm done here. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. And historians and commentarians believe that Paul was beheaded because he was a Roman citizen. They wouldn't have crucified him. They think he was beheaded around 67 AD. Here's, here's the wrap up. Book of Acts is about God. It's about him loving people so much that he wants them to know him. I love the story that Jesus tells Nicodemus, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world. God so loved us that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's a missional God who sends his only son on mission. We've learned he's co-missioning with us. God wants to involve us into this story to bring people to himself. And so he uses us by his grace, for his glory, for our joy. There's not a greater joy in my life There's not a greater hope in my life than I see somebody give their heart to Christ. 
I would trade everything else in my life. To see somebody come to Christ is unbelievable. The joy that he gives us to co-mission with him. My prayer this morning as we leave is the same that Paul asked of the Ephesian church. Would you pray that I have the right thing to say and that I would be bold? That's what I want to pray for South City Church. Pray that we would be bold. Bold enough just to be committed. Bold enough to believe enough just to be involved. Bold enough to use our mouth and use our lives and see that our greatest purpose in why we're breathing, why we're alive, is to make Jesus known. We see Paul in prison in whatever context he's in. His greatest purpose is the mission of God. Everything else is secondary. I love Eugene Peterson who says, faithful, long obedience in the same direction. (laughs) That was Paul, right? This faithful, long obedience in the same direction. He just keeps going in the same direction. He didn't always know the way. He didn't always know what to say. Sometimes he's afraid, and yet he just keeps going in the same direction. That's what we're called to do as believers in Jesus. With faithful, long obedience in the same direction. God has called you and me to be saved. Do you know him this morning? Is there anybody in here this morning that right now in your heart, maybe your heart's beating a little faster because you don't know Jesus? You've kind of just been doing your own thing. It's easy to do. We grew up in in the West, in America, in this wonderful country, and we learned real quickly, everything's about me. I'm the greatest human being in the world. Everything's about me. Just as long as I'm happy, then everything will be okay. That is not the gospel. Everything is about Jesus. And God gives you joy even when you're not happy. God gives you purpose even when you don't know what tomorrow will bring. The gospel says that God gives us all that we need, and it's all about him, so the rest doesn't matter as much. God's calling us to this relationship with him and with one another in the church. I think about all the believers that we've read about in Acts. I think about the apostle Paul, others, other apostles. The way they served, the way they loved, the way they endured and persevered. What's our excuse? What's my excuse? Friends, we don't have one. I think about a little group of believers right this moment in Campeche, Mexico, standing in 115 degree hot air, worshiping Jesus. Would you be there? Would you make it to that service? If we didn't have the air going today, hey, we let everybody know, hey, we're not going to have AC, but we're going to be worshiping Jesus, would you make it? What's our excuse, friends? As I think about Paul in these prison cells and, and all the difficulty and suffering he walked through, may we be a people committed to the Lord and his church. By the way, when I say being committed to his church, it's not just a service. It's a people being committed to one another, friends who encourage one another to live for Jesus and walk in him. What a ride 
this book of Acts, huh? My prayer is that God would do a work in us, that we would be a committed people to the Lord and to one another the way they were. And my prayer is that God would add to our number daily. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this book. Thank you for your goodness and your kindness. Thank you for this story. Thank you for uh, the fact that Paul was doing the same thing Jesus was doing. In Acts 1-3, Jesus is showing proof of his resurrection and preaching about the kingdom of God. And in Acts 28, 31, Paul is proclaiming the gospel, teaching about the Lord Jesus. That is your mission, Lord. And by your kindness, you've involved us in this mission. God, I just pray right now, in all of our hearts, if, if we count Jesus as our Savior, God, may we pray this prayer, Lord, what would you have me do? beyond sitting in this air-conditioned, wonderful space, nice sound. God, what would you have me do with my life? Is it to chase my dream? Is it to chase my career? Is it to do the things that I love? Or Lord, is it to say, God, those things are secondary to the purpose of my life, which is knowing you and making you known. God, would you show us now your heart and help us to be connected to that mission? Whatever you call us to, God, may we say, Lord, whatever it is, the answer is yes. I'll go. I'll be where you want me to be. I'll do what you want me to do. I will preach. I will testify of your goodness, of your glory, of your kingdom, and of this Lord Jesus who has changed me and wants to change the world. God, would you send us out of this place today with more than just the connection to a church in the city. Send us out, Father God, with a purpose. Send us out with a mission. Send us out with a passion. Send us out, God, with something we have to do for your glory. Because people are dying and going to hell every moment of every day. May that weigh on us, God. And may we trust you to draw them to yourself by your grace. Lord, we give you this letter. We give you this, these five summers. Continue to help us to grow in you, Lord, as we move to new things into this new ministry year. We love you so much. Draw our hearts to yourself even now as we pray and we seek you and worship in your precious name.